Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to Arkansas AgCast for October 15th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we're in High Cotton with Lee County's Nathan Reed, who gives us an update on this year's crop. We also learn about the critical issues on the ballot this November 3rd and why they matter for rural Arkansas. We also check in with Terry and Robin Fisher, who were 2020 finalists for the U.S. Poultry and Egg Association Regional Family Farm Environmental Excellence Award. First, with early voting about to start in the state, Ken Moore sat down with Arkansas Farm Bureau State Affairs Director Jeff Pitchford to talk about ballot issues 1, 2, and 3 and why passing them is important for the state and rural Arkansas. I'm Ken Moore. In just a few days, on October 19th, early voting begins in Arkansas. The general election is just right at three weeks away now, and today I'm speaking with Jeff Pitchford. Jeff is State Affairs Director for Arkansas Farm Bureau's Public Affairs and Governmental Relations Department, and Jeff has been following Farm Bureau's support of the, and promotion of the ballot issues that will be on our general election ballot, issues one, two, and three, respectively. And Jeff, thanks for visiting with us today. I know Arkansas Farm Bureau supports all three of these ballot issues, uh, and let's talk about them uh, for clarity. For the benefit of our listeners today on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, let's talk about issue one. It's all about maintaining funding for our state roads and highways. Well, thanks, Ken, for having me here on the podcast. Uh, and yes, Arkansas Farm Bureau has current policy supporting both one, two, and three. But let's talk specifically about number one, pretty straightforward uh, issue on the ballot. Folks are going to be asked to continue uh, a half a current half-cent sales tax dedicated for roads and highways. We've been paying it for the last 10 years, and this will, will make it permanent. You know, right now, uh, the state gets 70% of that money raised, the counties get 15%, and the cities get 15%. That's current dollars. And so we all know that our highways, our state roads, our bridges, our overpasses, they all need to be repaired and upgraded. And so this issue, issue one, uh, would continue the progress and, and work on that. The highway department has a plan for it. And uh, one of the things I know that we deal with in agriculture is the farm to market roads. And a lot of those have uh, bridges, small bridges uh, that uh, need to be repaired. And basically with issue one passing, uh, all, all bridges in Arkansas are going to re- be repaired or replaced in the next 10 years with this Dollars. That's just one of the benefits that we see with it. Arkansas current Farm Bureau current policies in favor of it. We think it's a great issue. Your taxes will not go up. It's a continu- continuation of a tax that you're already paying. So we encourage everyone to vote for issue one. Without this uh, issue one being continued, what would happen if it fails? Well, you, what would happen right now is not only would the state uh, see a decrease in current highway revenue, but counties and cities will see it as well. So, you know, county governments are strapped for, for funds anyway, and those are the ones that really are taking care of some of the local roads. So you're asking them to say you're, you're going to be – you're going to actually see a cut if issue one doesn't, doesn't pass. And uh, so right now, you know, finances are tight. Uh, this is a way to continue the progress and to fix our roads. You know, again, the farm-to-market roads – 
are the biggest thing for agriculture, and uh, this is going to to help with that. We're tired of if you're tired of seeing uh, low weight bridges, if you're tired of seeing potholes, uh, this is a way to do it without paying any more additional tax. It's a current tax that you're paying, so this is a pretty easy one to to vote for. Issue number two deals with the term limit issue and the term limit law. Talk about that and explain it for us. Absolutely, Ken. So issue two is to change the current term limits that we have in Arkansas. This is regarding to, and actually is very specific, it's for the Arkansas legislature. Currently in the legislature, uh, the term limits are 16 years. They can serve in either the House or the Senate or a combination of, of both. But it's 16 years. And after serving those 16 years, they have a lifetime ban. Issue two on the ballot would say, okay, instead of doing 16 years in a lifetime ban, you would go 12 years, again, serving either in the House or the Senate or a combination of the two, and then you would set out for four years. After that cooling off period, that setting out four years, that individual would be eligible to run again if he or she, see, he or she, if I can say that, uh, sees fit. It uh, doesn't mean they automatically get reelected. They would have to run like everybody else, uh, but they could come back. And so that's the big difference. Uh, and so, uh, again, our current policy at Arkansas Farm Bureau is exactly this one. And so uh, it makes it easier for us to, to be supportive of it. But that's what term limits does. does. We've had term limits in the state since the early 1990s. Uh, this does not uh, t- change the term limits on constitutional offices. And it does not uh, do any kind of limits to our congressional delegation out of Washington, D.C. This is just for the Arkansas General Assembly. But it does change it again from 16 years with a lifetime ban to 12 years with a four-year setting out period. All right. Thanks so much. That seems pretty clear and concise and uh, uh, makes it uh, possible for legislators who don't mind sitting out for four years and want to continue their uh, representation in the House or Senate to uh, to run again. Yeah, and you know, in rural Arkansas, um, sometimes it's difficult to uh, to be able to um, take the time to to go and serve. And so, rural communities sometimes are an unfair advantage against the more uh, urban areas and the more the areas with more dense population. And so, uh, it kind of puts the rural areas at a disadvantage. So, uh, having some time. And allowing someone to come back if they so choose and, and want to and have the time and resources to be able to serve and serve in the public, uh, we feel like that helps rural Arkansas. Okay, now let's talk about issue three. Uh, Arkansas Farm Bureau, I know, is heavily in support of passage of issue three. Uh, explain what issue three is all about and why we support it. So issue three can be kind of complicated, um, and so uh, it's kind of hard to put it in just a few few words, but we kind of look at it this way. Issue three is a ballot issue about ballot issues. And so here in Arkansas, we are relatively easy to put something on the ballot to change the Arkansas Constitution. In fact, over the last 20 years, we've had the Constitution changed 20 times. And so what we're seeing is a pattern of uh, interest groups from out of state bringing in their issue and bringing in lots of money to pass an issue in Arkansas because it's relatively easy. Currently, all you need to do is get a certain amount of signatures from citizens that live in about 15 counties. 
What that means is citizens in 60 counties, 60 out of 75 Arkansas counties, never see a petition. They never are involved in the process of putting something on the ballot. And this is the Arkansas Constitution. We're not amending the Walmart shopping list. We're amending the Arkansas Constitution. Things should be vetted. Things should should uh, to be looked at from a wide variety of areas in the in the state. So what issue three does is basically this, and I'll try to keep it as simple as possible for myself, if 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 anyone else, is that issue three says, okay, you still it's the still same amount of signatures that you need to get something on the ballot. But instead of just 15 counties, you've got to get signatures from a majority or 45 counties uh, specifically. So 45 county signatures from those. That gives folks in Marion County and Baxter County or Chico County who've never seen a petition. or You may have a chance to see one and, and be involved in the process early. We think that's a good thing. It also changes some of the dates when things are due, signatures are due, because in the past, We've seen signatures turned in late, there's been lawsuits filed, and literally things have been thrown off the ballot with less than 10 days to go before an election. Millions of dollars are spent by groups, millions of dollars uh, kind of wasted, really. And this ends that kind of process, too. This streamlines the process, and it also makes it even harder for the legislature to put something on the ballot. Right now, all they need is a simple majority vote, and they can issue and put something on the on the Arkansas ballot for voters to vote on, up to three every cycle. This says the legislature, it's even tougher for you. It now will be 60% uh, in both the House and the Senate. And so, again, we like the vetting process. We, we like the, the debate. We want more people involved. This gets more counties involved in the process, and we think that's a good thing. And so it's kind of streamlining the effort, making it a little bit more uh, – difficult not for citizens to put something on the ballot but making it more of a process that gets more people involved not less and certainly rural arkansas has been left out of this process by and large now when you say 15 counties uh currently is all this required well then you have to kind of venture a little bit out of the urban areas but i'm sure that most of these petition drives have been done in our major population centers Absolutely. If you want to take a look at the, the map of Arkansas and take all the counties, take the 15, the 15 highest populated counties, that's where petitioners go. So these out-of-state groups will spend, you know, we've seen money. We've seen millions actually come in, and uh, they'll put something on the ballot. Well, they'll get the signatures from those. So if you're a rural county, you're a flyover county, basically. They're not going to pay attention to you. They're not going to need to get signatures from you. Issue three, by voting yes, you're going to say no. You've got to venture out. You've got to get more counties involved, people from more counties, people from rural Arkansas should have a voice in the process. This allows that. That's really all that does. It doesn't mean that it's going to make it harder for citizens. You can still get something on the ballot. Uh, it just says you, you need to get more people involved in the process by by saying more counties can do it. We now have private entities uh, in the Arkansas Constitution. We've seen so much influence from out of state. And this is a way to say, wait, hold on. We're going to do a process. If we're going to amend the Constitution, we're going to take it seriously, and we're going to get more of our people here in Arkansas, not the out-of-state interests, but our people here in Arkansas. In fact, in rural Arkansas, you're going to have a chance to participate 
from the beginning of the process to say, yes, I believe this should go to the ballot or no, it should not. And we tell the legislature, you all need to be in, a, in more of agreement. It's got to be an issue that, yes, it really is that important. Because, again, uh, this is we're amending the Constitution. It should be taken very seriously. Uh, every General Assembly session, um, it's a two-year process, they are allowed to issue up to three uh, amendments to the Constitution. These three that are on the ballot, issues one, two, and three, came from the Arkansas General Assembly. And so that's the, that's the, the, the two-year cycle. Uh, they cannot do more than that. That's in the Constitution. It's limited to the three. Citizens' initiatives, though, and we've seen it, obviously, uh, can can put things on the ballot. So sometimes in the past we've seen four, five, six, you know, issues to vote on. And again, unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of out-of-state interest come in and a lot of out-of-state money because again, Arkansas is relatively easy uh, in the in their process. This sets the bar a little bit higher, uh, but yet still leaves it open for citizens to be able to put something on the ballot. This is reasonable, and that's why Farm Bureau is is very much for and encourages everyone to vote yes on issue three well arkansas farm bureau and nationally even american farm bureau our uh, sister states have all across the country been engaging in an i farm i vote campaign for a number of years now encouraging the farm and ranch vote and letting the public know that they're going to be actively engaged in the electoral process talk about this is an election year or excuse me a presidential election year so that in and of itself will generate a lot more participation and interest. But uh, the rural vote counts, doesn't it, Jeff? Absolutely. You know, in agriculture, uh, there's less of us now than, than before, but yet we're producing more and having to feed more people. And so we in the agriculture community across Arkansas and across the United States, especially when it's election time, uh, we need to let them know that our, we are very much involved in the process and very much important and to take our vote seriously. So Arkansas and some other states in the Farm Bureau family uh, created this I Farm, I Vote process. You see some of our signs out from, place, from places to place. And, uh, and so we, uh, uh, we just want that message out there that we farm and we vote. And you need to pay attention to our issues because they're very important. When agriculture is doing well, states do well. The country does well. When agriculture is not doing well, when the when we're not when farmers aren't making a living, that uh, they're not generating the economic activity that fuels and is the basis of every state. If you looked at if the uh, state's economy was uh, was in human form, the agriculture makes the spine and uh, and and makes the core. And everything else is, is off from that. And so we want politicians and policymakers to know that, uh, that we farm and that we vote and uh, we participate and we are engaged. And, uh, and that gives us a, a voice that we need at the State House in Little Rock and up in Washington, D.C., and they pay attention to us. And it's because of our, our grassroots and because of agriculture being involved and in going out and voting. Well, Jeff, uh Farm Bureau is known for its political education programs. Uh, it's important that all of the voters make an informed vote, are well-educated on the issues, and thank you for sharing and updating us on these ballot issues for us today. Uh, this has been a year unlike any other, uh, and it just happens to be a presidential election year. 
And so it's about to come to a conclusion here in just a few short weeks now. Uh, just a final thought from you about uh, how the pandemic, COVID-19 and all, may impact uh, the voting process. Well, I know that people are concerned about that, and uh, we we know that uh, that folks need to take everything seriously in this time and, and day. And so we know that uh, that uh, voting um, is is going to be an issue. But we encourage everyone to to go out and vote. Early voting, like you said earlier, starts on Monday, October the nineteenth, and so you've got plenty of time to be able take the time to schedule to to vote and uh, and go to go to the polls. I've early voted almost all my life and uh, I've never had to even wait more than just a few minutes seems like when I go for early voting of course that depends on where you're at and, and the number of polls but as we go across our state over the last few weeks talking to to, uh, to folks on issue three you know I, I think you're going to see where uh, early voting is is fine and, and take the time to do it and, and knock it out and and uh, and go through the process. And so we just encourage everybody to, to go ahead and do that. And, and you've got some time and some opportunities to do that. And just remember, yes, on one, two, and three. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate that. We've been speaking with Jeff Pitchford, State Affairs Director for the Arkansas Farm Bureau, as he's explained these important ballot issues for us this week on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Next, Greg Patterson speaks to Terry and Robin Fisher. The Fishers have farmed for more than 40 years, and they run a cow-calf operation on their R&T farm between Mulberry and Ozark. They also raise turkeys for Cargill with their son Ty and their daughter Jessica, and were finalists for the 2020 U.S. Poultry and Egg Association's Regional Family Farm Environmental Excellence Award. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we've got Terry and Robin Fisher and they are turkey growers over in West Arkansas. Welcome, Terry. Welcome, Robin. Thank you. Yes. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to, to get started. Go ahead and tell us about your your farm, um, you know, where it's located, how you got into farming, and, and what got you into raising turkeys. Uh, well, we live here in West Central Arkansas, uh, between towns of Mul, right in between uh, Mulberry and Ozark. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, we raise turkeys or grow turkeys. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I was going to ask. You know, when I was sitting here uh, talking about questions, I go, "Well, do you grow turkeys or do you raise turkeys?" So we well, grow turkeys, right? We grow, we grow turkeys. Yes, that's what we do. We grow turkeys. Yeah, uh, we grow for. Uh, for uh, Cargill, which is honeysuckle white brand, and uh, right now the turkeys we've got are called AVNA. They're uh, all vegetable, no antibiotics, and the turkeys right now are doing really good. And uh, far as farming, uh, my dad was a row crop farmer. had uh, had uh, he raised chickens? Well, actually, it was breeder hens. Is what he done for. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I don't know we uh, how we just decided I worked for the U.S. Uh, uh, Conservation Service for a couple of years, and then we decided to try try the turkey deal. That's how we uh, we got started. So we've been doing it for what forty what years? How many? You know, forty four. Yeah, forty four years we've been doing this. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's impressive. So so what got you into you know, growing turkeys because, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, 
come to doing that uh, or doing whatever crop it is they raise because they've had experience in it before? Was it the the, the breeder uh, hands and stuff like that that your dad worked with? Yeah, kind of. We've just kind of, we were wanting to do something, uh, you know, uh, on our own, really. I mean, and, uh, you know, being here at the house and, and working here at home, we just, we like that lifestyle, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, where you can be your own your own boss. Robin, how about you? What's your background? Did you come come from an agriculture background? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I was raised in town. Uh, from I'm from Texas. Uh, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time out on a ranch, uh, helping with cattle and such, which I really enjoyed doing. So that's really all I had done till I moved up here, and uh, we got the turkey business. Raising cattle. Yeah, I was going to say. I think uh, when I was talking with Terry earlier, you all said you you have the cow calf operation. So you had some experience then, Robin, with, with being around cattle, and and I guess that the transition to doing it when you were up here uh, with Terry was fairly easy for you. Yeah, I'd never been around the poultry before, but uh, it's it's easy. I like it. Uh, like you said, we we like. We like being being at home doing our doing our own thing. So, <laughs> okay, tell 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 our listeners because if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, Terry, the the birds you now have in in the houses are going to be the holiday birds that we're going to have on our Thanksgiving table or Christmas table uh, in in a few months, right? Yes, yes, that's what it is. They. What the company calls this right now is what they call fresh season, and that means that yes, they these birds will be uh, when they are processed, uh, uh, they'll be won't be long. They'll be in the grocery store. Yes, that's right. And and for folks who don't don't know, and, and especially since you guys have been in the business for so long, tell tell people who are listening. Um, how those turkeys are raised? What is the process from the day day of delivery of chicks to to shipping them out? And and tell folks how those birds get raised. Yes, we get them uh, when they're day old. They they bring them to us. They bring the poults. That's that's what they call baby turkeys. It's poults. Mm-hmm. So they bring the poults out day old. Uh, we start them in part one end of the house and. Uh, uh, just keep plenty of feed and water out for them, and uh, keep them warm. Uh, we 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 recently built three new houses. Yeah, they're tell still, us about that. Yes, they're. It's kind of the way the poultry industry is going is to these uh, uh, to these uh, houses now. They're all environmentally. Uh, what am I trying to say? Your temperature's constant in them. Everything is, and it's all computer run, so you. Everything stays the same, and uh, so 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 the idea the idea then of of, of you know the old uh, thing you know I'm I'm up in my 60s so I remember this from the farms I was on where you wander out to the uh, farmyard with a bucket of feed and start throwing feed down that doesn't happen anymore. Explain <laughs> how big these turkey houses are how much feed comes in and, and the whole computerized process. Uh, uh yes, the uh 
Oh, everything's automatic. You have uh, the feeders run. They, you have call pans and it keeps feed in front of them and water constantly. Uh, size of the houses. Oh, yeah, size of the house. Yeah, these newer houses are 66 foot wide and 700 foot long. And 700 feet long. Yes, yeah. So <laughs> if I remember correctly, if my math is good, um, a football field is 100 yards, and there's three feet in a yard. So if you did the math there, you basically have a turkey house that that is as long or longer than a football field. Right, right. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite different from – we still have a couple of old houses in production, and, yes, it's quite different. Uh, you know, people, we, uh, we don't have to worry about getting exercise. <laughs> we get plenty of exercise when we walk through them, you know, so – that's amazing. So, so explain uh, e- either you or Robin, how many birds come in and go into a single house? Uh, we get a place about twenty-seven thousand. It may vary a little bit. Yeah, in each house, twenty-seven thousand per house. Yes. And and you have how many houses? We have three uh, three of these new houses, the the big houses, seven hundred, and we still. Mega house. Yeah, they call them mega houses. I guess is what they call them. Uh, <laughs> and there's a reason they're big. Yeah, no we, kidding. Yeah, we still have our old older houses, uh, and we're going to run those, you know, for another year or two probably. So we get thirty-two thousand in, but the houses are uh, forty by four fifty. So sure, we just placed sure. one hundred thirteen thousand six weeks ago. Right. Did you get that? What she said. One hundred and thirteen thousand six weeks ago. Right. So, 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 what's it feel like to be? And I don't know, even know if you think this way because you've just been doing this repeatedly. But you're going to be responsible for putting one hundred and thirteen thousand holiday birds on people's tables throughout the United States at some point in time. What's that feel like? Well, it's kind of yeah. The, <laughs> Yeah, it's different, I guess you'd say. Uh, uh, we we do it year round. Yeah, we do it year round. I mean, this is not something we do just for the holidays, you know. Right, we go, right. We go, we go turkeys, you know, uh, uh, all year long. Um, we get we turn about three flocks a year is what we turn. And wow, yeah. Well, you know the 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 thing is, yes, you do grow turkeys year round, and you're supplying, um, you know, food to the United States and and everything. It's just that uh, I think people start thinking about turkeys about this time because because they are such a, a great holiday treat. Has has in the in the the year? This has been a strange year, obviously, because of the COVID pandemic. Have you? all experienced any disruptions in, you know, trying to raise your birds? Uh, again, there's an intricate uh, timing of getting feed at the right time, getting your birds in, having your house, uh, you know, cleaned out in preparation for new birds. Has, has COVID-19 pandemic disrupted anything in your, your farming life? Well, yes, it has. Uh, the uh, processing plant, is in Springdale. That's where our complex we grow for the complex at Springdale. And right. yes, they have the 
they had some issues with their processing plant, uh, you know, with some wor- uh, uh, workers, and uh, they were a little, they got a little behind on the on the pickup, you know, processing. Sure. And really, that's the only thing. Our it has not disrupted our feed or anything, you know, getting our feed or anything like that. It just they uh, and they weren't. It wasn't too bad. They just kept them a little longer, and they just got a little bigger, and you know. And it, and we're only talking a few days. Right, know. right. You know, yeah, and, and and the meat processing plants uh, uh, throughout the nation, whether it was, you know, beef or hogs or, or whatever it happened to be, chickens uh, had some issues with, with, you know, workers in those plants that were either getting COVID or having problems in that regard. Well, it's good news to hear that, it didn't disrupt what was going on the farm too much. And people out there uh, don't realize the intricacy of how something gets from the farm, raised or grown on the farm, and then to a person's table several months later. There's a lot of things that have to be done timing-wise. And talk a little bit about how, the newer way of doing things and the mega houses and the computers and everything help with uh, uh, food safety in regards to the raising of, of in your case, turkeys. Uh, well, they're, uh, we don't, we do, we have to go through uh, animal welfare training. We do this every year. They, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I believe it's uh, with the new housing like this, it's, you know, it's safer. You, I mean, uh, they're just uh, they're more confined in there, and I, I believe it's safer. You know what I'm saying? Sure. But yeah, that, you all have to deal with uh, you know biosecurity and different right. things like that. So, for instance, if I was to come visit your farm, it's not like you could pop the door open in the turkey house and I could just walk in there and whatever whatever clothing I'm wearing there are. Uh, security yeah. things that you have to pay attention to as well, and that's for the safety of the flock itself. So you're right. not bringing something in there. And and how has that gotten um, um, tighter over time in the years that you've been raising birds? Yes, when we first started raising, you just uh, people come by and look and and look, and even our service techs when they came, they. Uh, they would just put uh, just put different boots on and and go in and you know help with us. I mean we have <clears throat> excuse me, we have uh, 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 a technician that comes by at least right. once a week. And uh, so now when they come, uh, they have to put on boots. They put on suits. Uh, they put on uh, hair netting even and. Uh, they do that in the, every house they go in. They change boots, uh, little booties they call them, and we do the same thing. We have uh, we have what are called dip pans. We put uh, dry chlorine in them, and, and even we do that. We change boots and we uh, and uh, we step in these dip pans, make sure our feet are on this dry chlorine every time we go in. But yes, you're right. Biosecurity is a big thing, and it is to protect the birds. That's what it's for. Uh, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to track disease from one house to the other or one farm from the other. And yes, you're right. If you came, we uh, we've let you on the farm. 
mean, we would let you on the farm, but yes, and and we might open the door and let you peek in, but we probably wouldn't even let you come in. I mean, if right. suited up, we just yeah, we don't we don't have we don't allow visitors at all anymore. That's that's all in the past. <laughs> yeah, it's all changed, and and, yeah. and obviously obviously now people because of the COVID pandemic understand what. PPE right. is and and getting all suited up when you're dealing with that, but you guys have had your own poultry PPE in in the last you know uh, decade or so where you've got to suit up before you even go in and visit those birds. Right. Yes, that's true. And even uh, on our farm, coming into our farm, we have a fence, a pipe fence with gates, and we have signs. Uh, we have signs and everything where, you know, people, it explains to people, you know, that uh, the biosecurity, we just, no visitors allowed, you know. And and then if there is a problem, we can shut those gates, you know, and uh, and uh, just, just for biosecurity. Exactly, exactly. So I, I don't know which one of you does the cooking in the family. Um, <laughs> you know, I love to cook, so I'm the one who does it in my house all the time. But um, I always have to ask this of, of folks who raise turkeys when it comes to rolling into holiday season. Um, is it turkey? Is it ham? Or is it something else that you like for your favorite holiday dinner? Oh, uh, it's, it's turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yes, we love. Turkey. Now, do you have to go to the store to buy one, or do they leave one for you when they pick up the last flock no, before the holiday? Look at the store and get one that's already ready to put in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no plucking turkeys going on no. on the Fisher farm. No. <laughs> well, that sounds good. Now, now, I'm gonna brag on you a little bit. You, y'all recently won an award, I think. What from the Arkansas Poultry Federation, and and tell us what went into that. Well, it's yes, it was in uh, Arkansas Poultry, but it's the U.S. the U.S. Poultry and Egg Association. It's a federation. It was oh, it's like the Southeast Division or some. I believe it's called Southeast Division. Mm-hmm. And yes, we were we received award for it's what's for environment. Environmental excellently excellence award, right? What it's for? Yes, it's just so. So it's it's part of what we were talking about. I mean, you're doing things on your farm environmentally to uh, not only uh, protect the birds that are there, envi- their environment in the in the turkey houses itself, but also things that protect the overall environment and integrity of the farm outside right. of the. Uh, turkey houses as well. Right, that's right. And I was going to t- tell you about the. He's talking about eating turkey. We yeah. have we eat turkey sandwiches for lunch sometimes. And my wife, you have a turkey sandwich probably every day, don't you? Every day. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we love turkey sandwiches. Not because we're trying to to make the better for uh, the turkey business we just like turkey <laughs> yeah i mean and and i know my, one of my favorite is uh the smoked turkey slices that you can do you know uh and, and make sandwiches out of and everybody's probably got their favorite post-holiday turkey meal as well so turkey's a a, a great thing to eat and um, we appreciate uh both terry and robin fisher coming on uh, Arkansas AgCast today and 
and talking about raising turkeys on their farm. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Uh, you're welcome. We appreciate the, you know, we appreciate it. To, uh, we'll have to get out there and let people know that turkey is safe. We everything we do, we do safe so people have good turkeys to eat. <laughs> well, sounds good. Thank you so much, Rob, and appreciate you taking time to spend with us. Finally, Ken Moore talks to Nathan Reed, a third-generation cotton farmer near Mariana in Lee County. Like other farmers in the Delta, Reed has had to deal with swings in the weather this year, including the remnants of Hurricane Delta just last week, which delayed harvest and potentially affected his cotton and soybean yields. I'm Ken Moore, today speaking with Nathan Reed. Nathan is a cotton farmer from over in Mariana in Lee County, and as you know, it's harvest season in Arkansas, and... uh, Nathan and his neighbors there in Lee County and across the Delta are still trying to finish up the 2020 harvest season, whether it be cotton, soybeans. I know in Lee County uh, they're also harvesting peanuts now as they have the new uh, buying point, and, and peanuts are becoming a big deal in Lee County and across parts of our Delta region. But so today we're going to be talking with Nathan about the, just in general uh, what the 2020 uh, season has been like. And Nathan, thanks for taking just a few minutes of your time before you get back out on that cotton picker later today. I know the big story has been the abundant and continual rainfall. It started with the delayed planting season. When we spoke with you back in April, you were just trying to get your crops in the ground. And uh, I think from what I've learned, it's been a good, pretty good growing season. But then now as we approach it, harvest uh, back in August, it's just been one uh, tropical system after another that's been affecting you guys. What's your planting season there in Lee County been like? Well, it uh, yes, it seems like this year it's be, been either uh, cold and wet or hot and dry uh, from one extreme to the other. Not not a lot of uh, uh, mild uh, mild weather, I would say. It, it uh, we started out cold and wet, and uh, we're we're a little late getting our crop in. I would say uh, very late on our cotton crop. You know, cotton needs. Uh, really 80-degree days, 60-degree nights, a few days of that before you can even plant it. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of times we're planting cotton in mid-April, and this year it was it was uh, mid to late May. So uh, really after late May, it, it, you start losing significant yield loss uh, trying to plant it uh, past May 25th in my area. So uh, we luckily we had the planter capacity and were able, able to get the crops in in a timely manner, but we were, we were pushing that envelope uh, definitely. Uh, went through the summer, had had decent rain uh, early. It was still fairly cool, uh, and then it seemed like uh, mid-July it kind of shut off, and, you know, we, we experienced somewhat of a drought uh, through July and August. Uh, and then, uh, I guess guess late August, early September, uh, these, these tropical depressions and hurricanes started moving in, and it seems like it's been uh, one after another with them. So, uh uh, every year is unique farming and, and presents its own unique challenges, and, and definitely this year uh, has done that. So uh, right now we're uh, we were fortunate enough before the the remnants of the uh, Hurricane Delta moved through, uh, we were fortunate enough to get through with our rice harvest. But there is still quite a bit of rice in this area. Uh, the, the the cool weather, wet weather, early spring did delay rice plantings also. So uh, there's there's still quite a bit of rice out there, and even corn. I mean. Generally, most years, uh, we'll, a lot, sometimes people will finish corn in August, but, but it rarely goes into October, and, 
driving around the delta, you see quite a bit of corn out. So uh, the, these tropical depressions and late planting uh, didn't help that. So it it is a late harvest. Uh, as far as cotton, um, it seems like the last few years it's been October before we, we even start harvesting cotton. So uh, we're, we're kind of on track, it seems like, from the last few years. Uh, the cotton crop here is it's decent. I was speaking with my Jenner yesterday. He feels it's, it might be a little bit below average just because of the late planting and the and the, the cool weather early. Uh, the cool weather we had in September really didn't let the crop fully mature out. Uh, so we're having some knotty bowl issues, some bowl rot where, where these tropical uh, depressions and hurricanes moved through while the cotton was, was trying to open and the bowls were cracked. Uh, it rotted the bowls rather than letting them open up. But overall, it's it's not going to be a disaster. I think it'll be a a good average year for cotton. So uh, we just we need the cotton price to go up. All the other commodities have have eased up a little bit. Soybeans and and corn and rice is at a decent price, but cotton's still hanging in there in the uh, mid to, mid to high sixties now. But we really need a, a seven or eight in front of that number to to really uh, uh, make some money and bring it home. So. Well, as you say, it, this year has been one for the record books. I mean, you you deal with uh, weather issues every single growing season. There is no doubt about that. But uh, I think this has been one where, as you said, starting in late August, uh, typically we're almost through with the tropical storm season in the in the Caribbean or the Atlantic. Uh, the storms developing, and then almost every single one of them has moved into the Gulf of Mexico and then moved the remnants of them moved up over Arkansas. We've had four or five of those systems now. Uh, have you ever experienced anything like that before? No, I hadn't. Uh, not, not, not in my memory have we had this much uh, kind of during harvest season. Uh, luckily, uh, we're far enough north. We missed, a, missed one or two of those tropical storms, but we still uh, you know, have, have had, like I say, right now we're recovering from Delta. And, I mean, who thought – mid-October you would receive two and a half inches right in the the heart of cotton harvest season uh and soybeans uh receive this amount of rain I mean I know it's it's not uncommon to get rain during harvest but it sure puts a damper on things when you uh I guess the most depressing part of it was we we had a a very uh long dry forecast it looked like we were going to be able to really get in and and get in the groove and get this crop out uh you know early to mid-October and then uh, you get a, a two to two and a half inch rain or more uh, that shuts you down for four or five days. It, it really kind of kind of throws a kink in your harvest plans. But we're uh, hopefully today we'll start back uh, harvesting cotton and uh, soybeans, and and hopefully we can move on from there. And it looks like we have a good forecast uh, for the foreseeable future. The next ten day forecast uh, shows very little signs of rain. So you know we can. Uh, most farmers in the Delta at this point, if we could get 10 days down the road, 10 hard, uh, good days of harvest, uh, we we will be definitely on track to uh, to finish up in a timely manner. Cotton has always been an important crop, Nathan, in Arkansas. And uh, at one time, we produced just about as much as any other state uh, several decades ago. And then, as you know, uh, the price dropped. You talked about the cotton price still being a little bit depressed even now and uh, could stand to come back up. And our acreage dropped uh, significantly uh, several years ago, but it's rebounding now the last two or three years, and that's a good thing. Uh, let's talk about how important that crop is, not just to Lee County, but to the state of Arkansas. 
Well, the, the unique thing about cotton is uh, there's a few unique things. One is we're actually producing two crops. So, so we, in addition to the fiber uh, used to make the clothes, it, it also produces seed. Uh, so, so you have this this unique commodity that it, that you're producing two separate commodities. Uh, with cotton, uh, generally, you know, with with other commodities, soybeans, uh, probably with the exception of peanuts, with this new shelling plant, soybeans uh, and corn, uh, you, you produce it and you take it to a granary and it gets put on a barge and either exported or, or at least exported out of state. There is, uh, you know, some consumption with chickens and and things such as that, uh, but still. Uh, with cotton, there's a whole support system behind it in these communities. You've got a gin, you've got a warehouse, uh, you know, there's a big oil crushing mill in Pine Bluff, uh, and it takes a lot of logistics, and it's not just the, the farmer out there hauling it to a granary uh, with your gins and warehouses, and, and you know, ideally we could get some cotton mills, but it's it's a whole industry. So when when the cotton segment collapses, it it affects a lot more than just the local farmers. Uh, the, these whole communities have a lot of times have built up around cotton, uh, so it, it's very good. Uh, you know, cotton is is what I consider a high growth crop. Uh, other, so it, it costs more to grow, but ideally you can make more money on it. Um, so you know, we need long term stability in the cotton market uh, would be very very good for uh, America and especially for Arkansas. So. Indeed, indeed, that is true, and and we're starting to see, thankfully, some more uh, textile mills uh, reopening and and or starting up uh, to, you know, make our own uh, cotton products, if you will. Uh, there was a time here, not until just recently, when we were exporting most of your crop uh, out of this country to to make our clothing and apparel and uh, cotton products, but now, uh, thanks to some. Uh, uh, entrepreneurial businessmen. We're seeing some of those jobs being created, those mills reopening, and and we're producing our own. It's it's made in America, and and I know we're proud to see that label on all these products. Yes, it's uh, it, it's it's very difficult to to produce a commodity such as cotton when you're depending almost 100 percent on uh on other countries and, and foreign companies to uh, consume your product. I mean it's. It's uh, it seems like a lot of these countries, especially with China, were the were the uh, first place that they ship their finished goods to, but the last place they buy the raw commodities from. Uh, so uh, it would definitely bring uh, more long-term stability to the cotton market if any time we can get more domestic consumption, uh, domestic meals uh, use in America. So uh, it, it is very encouraging. There's not only Arkansas, but all across the country, you have. Uh, I would say boutique uh, mills and, and, and companies that are starting to make sheets, towels, and shirts uh, from American cotton and, and making it in America, making the, the fabric, uh, the spinning mills, and cut and sew uh, into final products. So that is encouraging, and, and we definitely need more of that uh, to provide some stability in this cotton market. They they say that uh, Millennials and, and these new genera new generation are are looking at where their clothes are made and the environmental impact and sustainability of industries and uh, cotton. We are in a unique position uh, with the way that our logistics are in American cotton, with our uh, all the way from the from the field and the grower through the warehouse to the mill. That bell can be tracked, uh, and so uh, a person can buy a shirt and and know. Uh, where that cotton was produced, that it was sustainably produced, that it was produced by a small businessman, a farmer in America. 
Uh, so that's very encouraging. And, and I think people are willing to pay for that when we put it out there. So uh, those are some, some neat things that are unique to the American cotton industry. Nobody else in the world has the technology and the logistics that we do to have the ability to do that. Uh, so uh, if we can capitalize on some of these strengths, I think there are, are some some promising uh, future for cotton in America. Nathan, one final question uh, about another commodity that is uh, really burgeoning, if you will, in Lee County right there out your back door. I noticed uh, this week a lot of peanuts uh, that have been, uh, they're starting to be harvested. Uh, this time of year when the weather's dry enough, they'll flip those peanuts, let them dry out, and then they'll be uh, harvesting those peanuts, taking them to your local buying point, and then up to the brand-new shelling plant, which we've gotten open for the first time in Arkansas up near Jonesboro this year. Uh, how are peanuts becoming a big, big deal there in Lee County? I know it's an excellent crop to grow in rotation with cotton. Yes, sir. It uh, Unfortunately, I've, I don't have the soil type. I don't have sandy enough soils uh, farming right off the, the Mississippi and St. Francis River. Uh, we have too much clay in our soils, but if you get on the, the uh, west side of Crowley's Ridge where they have sandier soils, it's, it's very suitable for peanut production. Uh, it, it's very exciting. It, it's even exciting for cotton because the best rotation for cotton uh, in, in the world is, is a peanut rotation. So uh, it, it's very uh, encouraging to have a new commodity and have choices uh, on what we can grow and, and be able to, to uh, have that out there is, is just phenomenal. So uh, I, I, I hope them the best, and I think it's, it's a great, very great thing for the state. And, and like I say, it, it should encourage even more cotton production uh, with the rotation for peanuts. So it's a, well, it's a great thing. That's great. I know many of your friends and neighbors who do have some of that sandier soil there in uh, the Mariana area are growing peanuts. Uh, you can see them now along the highway, and uh, having that buying point will just uh, incense more farmers to, to try out, to try out peanuts and see if it works for them, and we're just watching that industry grow here in Arkansas as well. So, Nathan, listen, thank you for giving us an update on how the year has gone for you. We wish you the best uh, of weather and the rest of the harvest season. Hopefully we will have a nice lengthy dry spell here for the next couple of weeks you can finish your harvest and uh, we appreciate what you do there in lee county well thank you been talking to nathan reed uh cotton farmer from mariana on this edition of arkansas agcast that's all for this week's arkansas agcast we'll be back next thursday with the latest news interviews and updates on arkansas's largest industry